You may be seated. Father, we thank you again and again from the depth of our hearts. We never cease to thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, and for giving us your word, which has sustained through all generations the word that is alive, the word that is you, Jesus. As we hear your word this morning and we hear it preached, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will soften our hearts, each one. If there are any things within us that we have not asked forgiveness for, Lord, that you will just break us down and enable us to be putty in your hands, as Jeremiah said. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with Duncan as he preaches and Chris as he reads, because these are your words and we just love to hear your words. So, Father, be with us now by your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look! The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, 
Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all this morning. Um, we have a wonderful word to think about today, a longer sort of reading, but heaps in there to reflect on. Uh, let me just pray briefly and then we'll dive in. Uh, let's hear these words from Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it blood, bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, that your word does not return to you empty. We pray that by your spirit, through this word today, you would accomplish the purpose for which you sent it, that we would have soft hearts, wills that are ready to obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, if you're just with us for the first time today, we're looking through this, working through this book of Acts this term. This is actually the last of the... Oh, no, there's one more. Sorry, I made a mistake. One more next week. Uh, we're almost at the end of this series, this little in the first chapters of Acts. Uh, and it's traditionally been called the Acts of the Apostles, but what we've been seeing is perhaps a better title would be the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus is on the throne of heaven. He's continuing to act. He is ruling over and building his kingdom. Uh, but the question this passage highlights for us is, how does Jesus do that? How, do, how is he at work? How does he act to do this wonderful, wonderful work? How does he build his kingdom? So uh, the kingdoms of this world, how are they built? They're often built through violence, right? Or through the sword. Or maybe in our culture, through polling and focus groups, through AI and algorithms. How would you build your kingdom if you were the risen Christ, if you think like that? How would you go about building this kingdom? What we're being shown in Acts, all the way through, it really gets highlighted in this passage, is that the unstoppable Jesus doesn't build his kingdom through violence or through oppression or even through market analysis. Uh, sometimes we think, though, maybe uh, he, he, he built his kingdom through spectacular things, signs and wonders. And we've seen plenty of those in Acts, right? God does at, does at times act wonderfully in that way. Uh, we see that in Jesus' life. We've seen that in the, in the last few weeks in Acts. Uh, last week, people were healed just by touching the shadow of the apostles as they walked past. Um, the Apostle Paul, though, reflects later on in, one, in 2 Corinthians 12. It's not on the screen, sorry, but in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he, he reflects that he persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. The writer of the Hebrews talks about our great salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, by the apostles, and God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, 
and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4. So you see what's going on there. These amazing miracles the apostles are doing are marks, they're signs pointing to their God-given authority and particularly to the authority of their word, their testimony. What we're meant to hear, when, when we hear these amazing miracles, what we're meant to think is, wow, it's really true. Jesus really is Lord. He really did die for my sin. He really did rise to new life and offers that to me. So this all gives us a really profound and helpful insight into how Jesus goes about growing his kingdom. Uh, He conquers, but not by the sword, but by the sword of his spirit, by the word of God, by his word. Uh, His people, we're going to see this today, his people triumph, not through inflicting suffering on others, but by patiently enduring suffering themselves as they speak about him. Because it's his word that is unstoppable. Unstoppable. It's really interesting through Acts how the word is almost like another character in the story, as you read. Uh, We saw it at the end of our reading, Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. Um, Over in chapter 12, verse 24, you get these moments through Acts where there's these kind of summary statements in chapter 12. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Or over in chapter 19, in this way, the word of God, of the Lord, spread widely and grew in power. What we see in this part of Acts, uh, in the light of all that, what what we're seeing in this particular passage is there's all these threats that come, these potential roadblocks that rise up against the spread of that word, this message about Jesus. Uh, in chapter 5, the, the bulk of what we'll look at is external threats, pressure coming from outside to stop speaking this word. Uh, but in chapter 6, Steve mentioned it, uh, there's also this internal threat, pressure coming from inside the church that would distract from the proclamation of this word. It, it looks slightly, it, It'll look different for us, of course, but we, we still face pressures, don't we? Um, from without and even from within to stop speaking this word. Uh, And what this passage so powerfully shows us is that the word of the risen Jesus will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. Um, So what did did this look like for these first apostles? Uh, We're we're picking up kind of halfway through the story. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that. Uh, Back in chapter 3, Peter and John heal, miraculously heal this man who's lame from birth. And that that kicks off this chain of events. They use that opportunity to talk about Jesus. uh, How he is the one who brings, remember this, an unstoppable restoration. Uh, The temple leaders don't like this. Uh, So they've already arrested these guys once and interrogated them. Uh, They interrogated Peter and John. And perhaps, I reckon they probably thought, all right, we've sorted the problem. We've nipped this issue in the bud. Um, They'd threatened them and told them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But things are just getting started, right? (laughs) We saw that. We've been seeing that. We saw that last week. 
great crowds are coming in. More and more men and women are believing the apostles' word and joining Jesus' people. So uh, let's pick up at 5 verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. This is a big deal. These are the most, the highest kind of most powerful religious leaders in the land. Um, these temple leaders, it's interesting to think what's going on for them, right? They were meant to lead Israel uh, in the knowledge and love and worship of the Lord. It's interesting to think what else they could have done, maybe what they should have done. They could have heard about Jesus and happily laid down their sacrifices and told everyone, here at last is the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? Um, They could have joyfully left the temple building to follow the true temple person. They could have seen with wonder in their hearts that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises to Israel, the reality that the temple and its sacrifices were always pointing towards. They could have done that, but of course they didn't, did they? They don't do that. Uh, It seems like these guys care more for their power, their position, than they do about God and what he's doing. So what do you read? They're filled with jealousy. Uh, last time, just Peter and John were put in prison. This time, it's all the apostles. Things are really ramping up. But I, I just love how sort of brief and matter-of-fact what comes next is. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Just like that, as if it's nothing. And you find out later, did you pick this up? You find out later on that the guards knew nothing about it. Like, they, they were totally taken by surprise when they realised this. It's just this little sign that no matter what you do, no matter how many prison doors you shut, you cannot stop God's word. No prison door is strong enough for that. Uh, and the word is, is what this angel focuses on, doesn't it? Doesn't it? He, he tells the apostles, this, what is it he, he really wants them to get straight back to, to doing? He tells them, Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people, tell them, teach them all about this new life. Keep speaking, keep teaching about Jesus and the new life that he brings. And that's exactly what they do, right? So as soon as they're able, as soon as the sun is rising at daybreak, they do it. But then (laughs) the next scene is actually, I reckon, quite comical. um, there's this, you know, that's all happening sort of in the temple courts. Meanwhile, what's going on inside, verse 21, halfway through the verse, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So you get the picture. These guys, are, like I said, they're the heavyweights. Everyone's there, all the powerful people. Uh, does anyone else kind of... Um, uh, watch Question Time sometimes. I, I haven't done it for ages. I used to watch it a little bit just for the kind of hilarity of it or something. I don't know. It'd be weird. Um, but so, when, when you watch Question Time, there's often times when there's hardly anyone in the room. You know, notice this? Or there's lots of times in Parliament there's just like a scattering of a few people. That's not what's going on here. This is the full Parliament all gathered. The place is packed. All the heavies are there. 
and they send for these upstart captives ready to kind of come down hard on them. So they go to the jail and they're nowhere to be found. And you get the feeling like all of a sudden the air is just taken out of this of them. They're, they're, this whole proud gathering, they're all geared up to vent their jealousy, but instead they're left kind of impotent and baffled by what's happened. Then someone pipes up in verse 26 and says, Oi, they're over there, basically. Like he's saying, I, I, I can see them. They're over in the temple courts. And they're doing exactly what landed them in prison in the first place. Standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. So in verse 26, the leaders try again. But it's interesting here, isn't it? You notice that little detail? They don't use force uh, to bring these guys to the Sanhedrin. Um, the, the people gather around them, they're all sort of on the apostles' side. So you, I kind of imagine these, these, uh, these policemen basically going up and saying, uh, look, can you please just come quietly with us? You know, like, please, pretty please? Um, and at that point, the apostles could have resisted, couldn't they? They could, have, they could have resisted that. They could have said no, and they could have raised... A rebellion right there I think they had all the people on their side that they were talking to they could have said no they could have but they they don't fight fire with fire do they they go quietly they go humbly I I think there's you know just something there that's actually a really helpful example for us face when we face pressures they keep acting in a godly humble way not using the world's methods against it but trusting God and his powerful word. Um, So in verse 27, they come before this intimidating gathering of all the impressive, powerful leaders of the Sanhedrin. It's like what's happened a couple of chapters ago, but the intensity gets gets dialed up. Verse 28, "We we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. See, they thought their orders, their commands were the highest power in the land. And on you know, a human level, they were, they were right. Like they, this, was, this was a big deal. But Peter and the apostles know better. They reply in verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. It's worth just pausing there for a second. Um, in general, the, the clear teaching of the New Testament is for Jesus' people to submit themselves to the governing authorities, even when they ask you to do something that you don't like. Um, our general disposition should be submission, knowing that the governing authorities are instituted by God. But there is an exception. It's an important exception. And you do see it a handful of times through the Bible when human commands clearly clash with the word of God. We saw it in Exodus with the midwives, if you remember that. That's what's going on here. And in that situation, the right response is clear. God wins every time. God wins every time. He, he's already won. He won in Jesus. That's what Peter says to them. They did their worst to Jesus, but what happened? Verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, 
whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So they respond to these leaders' command not to speak about Jesus. And what do they do? They speak about Jesus. Like that's, that's how they respond to this command not to speak about Jesus. They just keep speaking about him. But they're not doing it in this brash, kind of rude way. They're not, they're not trying to make waves. They're not looking, looking to cause trouble. And even here you get the sense that they're offering Christ to these guys that they're talking to. You notice how the focus is still on Israel here? Remember how the whole book of Acts moves from Jerusalem to Judea, that the word goes out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. We're still in this kind of Jerusalem phase here where God is bringing about this restoration of his kingdom uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, Jesus was exalted, Peter says. We read it just then. Jesus was exalted so that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness. And the apostles are still hold, they're holding out this gospel, this offer, this good news to these leaders of Israel saying, look, Jesus is now where the action is at. This Jesus movement is now the true people of God gathered around their Messiah. Come to him. Salvation is found in no one else. Don't ignore him. Or as Peter said back in chapter 3, you'll be cut off. So even now, there's this, this kind of holding out of, off, of the gospel. And there's this great twist. Did you notice that the very last thing that was read to us right at the end there? This wonderful twist. A large number of priests do actually become obedient to the faith. They do come to Jesus and put their trust in him. But at this point, the overall reaction from this group is rage. They are enraged at this. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. They're stopped, though, by this really intriguing character, um, Gamaliel. Um, uh, he's, he was a well-known teacher, teacher of the law. We find out later, actually, he was the teacher of the Apostle Paul. So Paul was one of his disciples. And he says something pretty wise. He basically says, look, if you act out your fury on these guys and kill them, it'll just stoke the fire and it'll just lead to more trouble. But I've been around long enough and I've seen these hotheads come and go. Once the leader dies, the movement dies with them. So let's just, let's just ignore these guys. Let's just leave them alone and things will fizzle out. Um, a great prediction. <laughs> Not... Um, uh, but he does, he does hold on the, to the possibility. He does kind of hold out the possibility that this is from God. Verse 38, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It's hard to know where Gamaliel uh, sits with all of this. There's no hint that he believes it is from God. And the thing is, 
he and the rest of them, they didn't actually need to wait to find out whether this was from God or not. They already had more than enough evidence. The leader of this movement did die. Peter and the apostles, they're not the, they're not the leader of this movement. <laughs> this movement's leader did already die. But that didn't cause the movement to fizzle out at all, did it? Because he didn't stay dead. And that's the whole message of these apostles. He rose. He is still alive. He is now exalted to God's right hand as prince and saviour. And no matter how angry you get, you can't change that. And you'll only find yourself fighting against God. Um. There's an Australian author, you might have heard him on the radio, he's a well-known atheist called Philip Adams. He wrote a book a little while ago called Adams Versus God, and the front cover is this kind of um, boxing sort of scene. Uh, he, he's embraced this idea of being someone who fights against God. But you kind of think, what a foolish thing to claim. What a foolish thing to claim. It'd be like you going outside after church and there's this tiny enraged ant shaking its fists at you trying to take you on, you know? Like, imagine that. How ridiculous is it to set yourself up against God? At least Gamaliel saw that, right? He did see that, whether or not he sort of believed that these guys were from God. But the Sanhedrin is persuaded the best course is to just let them go, let the movement fizzle out. They flog the apostles and rather comically, they ordered them not to speak again. So you kind of think, oh, how's that going to go? I wonder what they thought. Like, maybe they, they felt like they had to say it, um, but maybe not with much conviction, because there's no chance these guys aren't going to keep speaking, is there? They let them go. But do you notice the apostles' reaction? It's such a contrast to the jealousy and rage of the temple leaders. They go away rejoicing. Verse 41, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. See what's going on? The word is spreading even in the face of extreme opposition from outside. In fact, in God, and we're going to see this um, a lot more next week, but in God's sovereignty, the op this opposition ends up spreading the word even more. Now, they're not just in the temple courts. You notice that? They're actually going from house to house to house, day after day after day, talking to people about Jesus, telling them about this new life. So that's the opposition from outside, trying to block this unstoppable word. Uh, what about the kind of opposition that rises up from inside the church or the resistance, the roadblock? We can't spend heaps of time on this last section in chapter 6, but, but notice there's, underneath it there's the same thing going on, just from a different perspective. The pressure is coming from inside this time. So it's helpful to remember that this church at this point is made up of Jewish people from all over the known world. Remember, they'd come for the Feast of Pentecost. Um, the Holy Spirit had filled them, drawn them to Jesus. They'd uh, come to faith in him. And it seems like many of them stuck around in Jerusalem. 
and this dispute arose. So that one of the things about having people from all over is you've got people from all different cultures, different languages, and this dispute arose between probably the local Hebraic Jews and those from Greek-speaking countries, um, so from further afield. The issue was how their widows were being provided for. So in that culture, there was no sort of government safety nets. That, um, widows were some of the most vulnerable people. And the, the, the Greek-speaking group, who perhaps were sort of uh, from further afield, they noticed that their widows were being kind of unfairly left out in the church's care of this group. It could have led to great problems, right? And you get the sense that it's a, it's a really tense scene. Emotions are high. The apostles get everyone together to sort it out. But the really important thing to see here is that the apostles are concerned to sort it out, but they're also deeply concerned about something else being neglected. Caring for these widows is a really important issue, and they get trusted, mature people, seven of them, to look after it. They don't neglect it, but there is another issue at stake that for them is an even bigger priority. They're most concerned about neglecting the word of God. Uh, 6 verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to, in order to wait on tables. Table ministry is important, but the ministry of the word for the apostles is more fundamental. That minist the ministry of the word is actually what brings about this practical love in the first place. Uh, it's through the word of the gospel that God's spirit transforms us into the kinds of people who care each other, about each other like we looked at last week in those practical ways, who show grace because of the amazing grace that has been poured out on us and shown to us and come to us through the word of the gospel. So the point is you take the word of God away and you cut off the branch that supports you. <laughs> The church becomes just another social club. So the driving concern for the apostles was that the proclaiming and teaching of God's word would continue. And so in verse 4, they say, we will give our attention to prayer because it's God who changes hearts and to the ministry of the word. And what's the outcome? Well, jump down to verse 7. So... The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, friends, what do we make of all this? Um, there are, I want to suggest a few things that come out to us from this. Uh, firstly, it's kind of like what Steve was talking about earlier. There are really important things here about how we think about and organize ourselves as a church. Um, that we share the apostles' priority on God's word. And that we see the importance of partnership together, of working together in teams. Um, some churches, not ours, but in some churches, uh, um, there is a culture that a handful of people, so the minister, maybe a few others, do all the ministry. Um, that's not only unsustainable, exhausting, it's unbiblical. <laughs> it's, not, it's not biblical. If you're a Christian, you are someone who is called to ministry, to service. 
to serve God with all your life. The only question is, what part will you play in this body so that God's word can continue to be proclaimed and taught here? That's why we are always on about joining a team, helping out, um, because we see ministry as a team thing. And so there are important things that we can learn here about that. There's also a really important warning, though, for us in this passage to hear, a warning about moving away from God's word, uh, about being alert to those pressures, maybe from outside, maybe from inside, to do that. There are real powerful pressures uh, to let go of God's word, or at least to not focus on it so much. We should be talking more about other things. We should be talking more about politics or social issues, about tips for a successful life or something like that. So there are real pressures, and I think we're all kind of aware of the growing temperature of pressure from external pressures against the word of God being spoken amongst the churches and even inside as well. But I want to, we can talk a lot about that, but I just want to suggest there is a more subtle form that this pressure can come in. Um, And it comes through wanting a good and right issue or topic that's close to your heart, wanting that to be more dominant in our speaking than it is in the Bible. So I'll I'll, I'll explain what I mean a little bit about that. Maybe there's something that you're passionate about, um, something that um, you are, or yeah, are just really passionate about. Uh, things I've noticed, um, sometimes it's a particular view of end times, of parenting, of the Holy Spirit, of creation. There's a whole range of different things. And you just find yourself finding ways to talk about it from just about any passage in the Bible even if you kind of have to wring it out of there by force, you know, or like if it's not there at all. I just want to sort of gently suggest that that is a more subtle but nevertheless real way of elevating your own thinking above God's. Um, The risen Jesus rules through his word and our approach needs to be humbly coming under his word not standing over it with our grand ideas and even our experiences. That's why our core business as a church is simply reading through whole books of the Bible, trying to understand them rightly, having them preached to us, discussing them in our home groups, so that we are more and more shaped by God's words and his priorities. So, friends, there's wisdom for leadership here. There's a warning. But mostly, though, the third thing I want to just highlight and leave you with is this passage is an incredible encouragement about the unstoppable power of God's word. The unstoppable power of God's word. And that is so liberating, isn't it? Uh, It's not up to you. (laughs) It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's God who is at work by his spirit through his words. And it's liberating and it's energizing, right? God's word really is unstoppable. He really does change lives. 
So you can have confidence in that. And in that confidence, in that peace, let's keep working together in partnership here so this good news can more and more not only transform us, but ring out from us into our community. Um, I just want to finish with a, a quote. It's a longish quote, not too long, but um, I'm going to leave you with this. It's by Martin Luther, who, was, who kicked off the Reformation about 500 years ago. Um, he had some great things to say about the supremacy, the power of God's words. And this was a, a letter. He was reflecting on what happened in the, the Reformation that he kicked off. And this is in a letter he wrote this. Um, it sums up a lot of these things really well, I think. He talks about God's word and says, In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences and in all the papists, uh, but never with force. That was the issue in his day. He writes, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. Had I... Had I desired to foment trouble, I could have brought great bloodshed upon Germany. Just like the apostles could have risen up at that, point, at that moment. Indeed, I could have started such a game that even the emperor would not have been safe. But what would it have been? Mere fool's play. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. What do you suppose is Satan's thought when one tries to do the thing by kicking up a row? He sits back in hell and thinks, oh, what a fine game the poor fellows are up to now. now. But when we spread the word alone and let it do its work, that distresses him. That distresses Satan. For it, the word, is almighty and takes captive the hearts and when the hearts are captured, the work will fall of itself. I did nothing, the word did everything. Our God, may we have that same heart and conviction and confidence in this wonderful, life-giving word that you have so richly blessed us with. Thank you that we have such free access to it. Please forgive our hard hearts and our coldness towards your word. Work in us, we pray, and through us more and more by your spirit that we might be transformed by this word, through this word that we read, that we discuss, that we hear. Transform us more and more into this kind of joyful, humble, bold witnesses of the transforming power and truth of the gospel. And we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Duncan. I think my heart has been really touched by his warning at the end of not being true to the word. I think in all of our lives as we, as we go through life, myself and I'm sure many of you have been tempted to be drawn aside to something which has not quite been the true gospel. But God in his graciousness and by his Holy Spirit draws us back as we have open hearts. So we can praise him for that. We're going to sing, O Breath of Life. This Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit and we ask him afresh to pour out his spirit upon us as a church. Please stand and parents, you can collect your children during this song. <laughs> 